But I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome our South Shore campus joining us, Gulf Coast, online and here at Little Creek to the fourth week of our series entitled, This Is Living. Come on, let's just welcome our campuses that are joining us right now. You know, we're in a series, we're teaching through 1 John. 1 John is a book in the New Testament. John the Apostle wrote it. He wrote five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. We're not studying the Gospel of John. We'll mention it, but we're really studying 1 John. We're trying to go through as much material as we can during these six weeks. Week one, we talked about the forgiveness. What does it mean to live a forgiven life? Week two, what does it mean to live a clean life? Last week, what does it mean to live an anointed life? John says we have an anointing from the Holy One. Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to live a loving life. Speaking of love, a mom was real concerned about her 20-something son and whether he was going to ever have a date. And she said, honey, you know, when, when is it going to happen? Finally, he called up his mom one day and says, mom, I got good news. I think I met the woman of my dreams, the love of my life. She says, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to send her some flowers and invite her over to your house on Friday for a home-cooked meal. Saturday morning, the mom was all excited. She called her son, son, how did it go? I'm so excited. Give me the good news. He says, mom, it was a disaster. She said, what do you mean? Did she not show up? Oh, she showed up all right, but she refused to cook. <laughs> how many know the brother needs some help? Come on. Are y'all with me? The brother needs a little, a little bit of help. All right. Hey, I, I want to mention, uh, if you weren't here last week, again, all of our stuff is online. I want to encourage you to get it and download it because last week I finished up the message talking about the importance every week, every day of coming before the Lord saying, God, anoint me afresh with your spirit. God, fill me afresh with your spirit. It's not weird. It's not spooky. What is the anointing? The anointing is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And how many of you know we need the help of God? We need God's fresh anointing, God's fresh power in our lives on a daily basis. Today, I want to talk to you about the loving life. What does John mean when he mentions that we have received the love of God? Number one, the loving life, and I'll give you this first point, the loving life is the receiving life. It's a receiving life. In other words, and you'll see in a moment that John wants our posture to be a posture of receiving. First John chapter three, verse one. Let me read. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Whole lot's being said, by the way, in this verse. A whole lot's being said. The word here for love is the Greek word agape, and it means unconditional love. In other words, the Bible says, John's saying, that the Father in heaven has bestowed upon us love without conditions. Love independent of our performance. It's agape love. That's what it is. Now, the word bestowed is an interesting word. I, I teach out of the New King James Version. I think the New, uh, the New American Standard has bestowed as well. Uh, I'm not sure some of the other ones. Bestowed, some say given, but let me tell you, bestowed is not something that you use. Like, I bestow these waffles upon my child. You, you don't get, it, it's, it sounds, but, but what it means is, it means, well, I'll show you what it means. I wrote a definition out. Bestowed means to give to someone as his own, to grant, to supply, to endue. In other words, God's saying, 
I give you, I supply to you my love. Now, love is an interesting word because it's used in a lot of different ways in our culture today. I mean, the fact is we can say, I love, I love my spouse. That's a good thing. I love my children. Man, I really love my car. I love crawfish. I love LSU football. Are y'all with me? Well, I mean, I don't love it, but you do. I'm just saying a lot. So, so in other words, you got a kid growing up thinking, man, mom, dad loves mom. That's cool. And, and dad loves his car and dad loves crawfish. Dad loves God. Dad loves LSU football better than God. Dad loves, how do I know? Cause he's not here in church on Saturday night, but that's a whole nother message. Listen to what I mean. It's a little confusing in our culture because the word love is used in so many different contexts. Now, all right, let me teach you guys something. You, you, I've shared it before. This will really help you. So the Bible in the Old Testament, the original language that it was written down in is what language? Hebrew. That's what it was written down. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. All right. The New Testament was written primarily in what language? Greek. Koine Greek, to be specific. Classical Greek was kind of the sophisticated or aristocracy. Koine was the common, everyday, and that's what most of the disciples were. They were common, everyday people, and they wrote it down as the Holy Spirit inspired them. Now, from Greek, all right, to for us English, or some of you reading this, maybe the Spanish Bible, all right, when we see in English in the New Testament, the word love, all right, when we see the word, it's translated love. Actually, in the Greek, there's three words for love that we have in English one word for. So when we see love in our Bible, for God so loved the world. That it, so we say in the Greek, it could be one of three words. This is important because we're talking about what is God's love. So for instance, the first thing, if you see love in the New Testament and you see some word or some sentence in some scripture and you see the word love, it could be, it could be that the Bible writer is using this word. This is love in the New Testament, phileo. Do you see that? Well, what does the word phileo mean? I tell you, it's an emotional love. It means brotherly love. As a matter of fact, in the United States of America or in the Americas, right? All right, when our country was founded very shortly thereafter, there's a city on the eastern seaboard. There's a city, all right, that's named after this Greek word. Can we say it out loud? One, two, three. It's Philadelphia, the city of what? Well, where did they get that? They got that from the Bible. That's where they got it. Philadelphia, phileo. That's, that's a Greek word in the Bible. So, so, so when you, in the New Testament, when you see the word love, it could be phileo. That's why it's important to have what's called a Strong's Concordance to understand exactly what word. So it could be phileo. The second word that we translate as love in our English language, but there's a separate Greek word, is this word. Here's the second word for love. It's eros, all right? And it's where we get the word erotic from. But really in the Bible, what it means is it's a physical love a sensual love. It's not connotated in a negative standpoint. It's the physical intimacy that was defined by God that happened between one man and one woman in scripture. So that, that's, a, that's a good thing. All right. In the confines of marriage. Well, if you look in your Bible and you see the word love, it could be phileo. 
It could be eros. By the way, we, we, are, we are created, I've, I've taught this so many times, I don't have time to reteach it, but we are spirit, soul, and what? Body. Spirit, soul, and body. So our body connects in a physical dimension with an eros love. Our soul or our emotional realm connects what? In a phileo sense with other people, all right? But then there's a third dimension of love. And that's, what, and that's what's used in this verse. It's not eros. It's not phileo. It's this. It's the word what? Say it. And agape is different. Agape means unconditional, unmerited love. Watch this. Minus any performance on behalf of the recipient. So in other words, God loves you in spite of you and me. God loves, see the world, let's be honest, culture, they put tags on love. I'll love you if. I'll love you when. God says, I love you in spite. See, see, the truth is, what we try to do is, and if we try to fill this need in our heart through eros love, I mean, come on, how many people thought, if I can just have enough sexual intimacy with people, I'll feel this need, and I'll feel, and I mean, I mean, partner after partner later, there's still that emptiness. How about phileo? If I can just have enough friends, if I can just have enough friends, enough people around me, get people around me, people around me. And that's why, by the way, the phenomenon of social media, on my Facebook, I have 10,000 friends. Do you really have 10,000 friends? That's what it says. Put up one bad post. Ain't de friend. Unfollow. Come on, you know with me? It's a big thing with kids, you know. Oh, they followed me. Oh, they unfollowed me. I mean, those are really your friends. One bad post. Ah, I don't like you. How many are grateful if we ever send out one bad post in life, God doesn't go, ain't, I'm unfollowing you. How many are grateful that God loves us unconditionally? Come on, are y'all with me or not? Yeah. So John says, he uses the agape word. He says, how great a love, how great an agape that God loves us, that God is committed to us. In spite of us, God is committed to, he's committed to us. God is love. That's who he is. The fact is, is that love is, love has to be received. Love is not achieved. Love is received. And I'll be honest, it's tough for us to receive love sometimes because we all have our minds brainwashed in a negative sense where we perceive that we're worthy of love based upon something that we have or haven't done. It's humbling. By the way, strong personalities, type A personalities, leadership personalities, man, this is real tough for them because they're used to doing in life and they believe that they are worthy based upon their production and their performance in so many areas. And yet this agape love, that's not how it works. God says, I love you in spite of your performance. I'm committed to you. I'm not going to unfollow you. I like you. I like every one of your posts. Maybe not everyone, but most of them. I'm just, listen to me closely. Listen to me closely. Hey, look, look here. It's tough to be a receiver. It's tough. It's humbling. It's humbling to receive. What? And that's how you receive the love of God. There's a guy in the Bible. This is such a, this concept. 
This summer, I had an opportunity to go with my daughter to Israel. I've been three times, and I went this summer. She graduated high school. Dad, I said, where would you like to go? Let's go on a mission trip. She goes, Dad, I'd really like to go to Israel. I said, let's do it. We went to Israel. I went on a Bible tour, and it was great. And I went with this Jewish Christian guy, Messianic Jewish. He's a Jewish believer in Jesus. And we got on the top of what's now reconstructed the upper room where they believe Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. It's been reconstructed. Some of that was broken down. But on top of the upper room, it's really interesting. On top of the upper room, I didn't know this. But on top of it, as you go outside, it's where he believes the Last Supper took place. The Last Supper, very powerful. You know that Jesus gathered his 12 disciples, the eve of being crucified. It's Thursday night. He's, of course, Good Friday. He, he, he dies on the cross. He goes through the whole trial and then ultimately dies on the cross. Well, the night before that, it's where they have the Good Supper. It's where, by the way, communion comes out of. In the New Testament sense, it's, it's where he broke, broke the bread. This is my body and the cup of wine. And this is my blood that is shed for many. Well, prior to that moment, prior to that moment, as all of the disciples walked into that part of the house, which is actually on the upper end of it, customary in that society, there would be somebody standing at the door. Of course, we walked, they walked in Bible times with sandals, and the roads would be very dusty. And, and so you'd often have somebody that would be somewhat of a helper that would be positioned as the people would come in and they would they would put their feet, they would take off their sandals and they put their feet in a basin. And then you would have somebody, uh, some similar to a butler, similar to someone like that, they would wash the feet. Interestingly enough, and they would eat in Bible times, you would kind of lean back. And so you'd have your feet out. This is way before pedicures. This is way before. So it was really important for your feet to get cleaned. The disciples walked in that room that day and the normal person was not at the door. And Jesus looked around and Jesus walked over there. I'm talking about receiving. And Jesus picked up that basin and moved it over towards the disciples. And when he got right in front of Peter, Peter kind of freaked out. Oh, what, 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 what are you, you going to do, Jesus? Watch this, John chapter 13. This is the Last Supper the eve before he's crucified, and he's about to do something to Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are, are, are you about to wash my feet? What's getting ready to happen here? Jesus answered and said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter's like, wait a minute, time out. You're not going to do this to me. No, 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 no. You're the son of God. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. If you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Now, I love Peter. I love everything about Peter. Again, we love Peter because he says whatever's in his heart. Uh, he, 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 he gets it out there. Doesn't mean he gets everything right out there. Can anybody relate? But watch this. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Watch what Peter does. This is so cool. Watch this. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my hair. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let me put it in the hair bowl at the, you know. Wash it up, wash it up, wash it up, wash it up. And you got to give it to him. I mean, he's quick. He says dumb things, but boom, he repents real quick. And Jesus began to wash Peter's feet. Bottom line is Peter had a hard time receiving love from Jesus. He struggled with that. 
Why was it so important for Jesus to wash the disciples' feet? I'll tell you why. They were getting ready to go take that message. They were going to take it out to the ends of the earth. And Jesus was so, it was so important to Jesus. If they took the message of Christ out into the world, watch this, without first receiving love from God, then they would have taken credit for the message. What's happening in our lives, in all of our lives, if we live life, watch this, without receiving from God, then when we give out, we don't realize that we're only a conduit. We think that we're the source. And we end up taking pride in that. We end up thinking it's us and our gifts and our abilities and our talents. And what we lose sight of is that the Christian life is not about us generating love. It's about us dispensing love. We're dispensers. That's who we are. We're dispensers of God's, of God's love. I, I, in my whole life, I've, I've struggled with this. At times, I've struggled with trying to understand that, you know, God, do you really love me? Independent of my performance, I've gotten a lot better at that. We all, at some level, we struggle with that concept of really resting in the You show me someone that's rested. You show me someone that's secure. I'll show you somebody that understands that they're loved by God. Number one, the loving life is a receiving life. Can you say it with me? The loving life is a... So we receive from God. We receive love from God. First John 4, a God is love. He, he, he loves us. He pours out his love upon us. But after we receive love from God, then there's an overflow. There's an overflow. So number one, the loving life is a receiving life. But number two, the loving life is also a committed life. Committed to who? After we receive from God, then there's an overflow from our lives to those around us. We're committed to people. We're committed to others. First John chapter 3, verse 11 to 15. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And let me pause here for a moment. That's why I love the scripture. God did not start with us loving other people. He didn't start, watch this, with the horizontal. Started with the vertical. Because God knows if we become a good receiver, then we become a good dispenser. Freely you have what? Freely you've received, freely you have given. It's one hand to receive, one hand to give. It's, it comes in one and it goes out the other. We're not generating it. We're not generating love for other people. We're giving out what we receive from God. Not as, go back to the, uh, the other verse if you could. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. You've got to love one another. Well, then what happens? Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. His brothers were righteous. First murder in the Bible, right here, boom. Adam and Eve sin, and there's a degeneration that takes place in, in, their, in their children, between brothers. Do not marvel, my brethren, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't freak out if the world hates you. Hey, look, we know that we've passed from death to life. Why do we know that? Because we what? Say it, we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Look at this last verse. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow. You see, loving God, this is so important. Loving other people, let me say it this way. Loving other people does not make you a Christian. Loving other people identifies you as a Christian. Does that make sense? It doesn't make you a Christian. You gotta be more loving. If you're more loving, act like Jesus. Hold on, time out. 
It's not my loving people that makes me a Christian. It's by demonstrating my love and commitment to other people, it identifies me as a Christian. It shows that something transformational happened in my life that's otherworldly. It's, it's from God. See, it's agape. Not phileo, not, not physical love, not emotional love, and not eros, not physical love. It's not about conditions. See, we really can't love the way Jesus wants us to love unless we are receiving his agape love and then giving out his agape love. Mark chapter 12, Jesus was questioned by his disciples once. Jesus, boil this whole thing down. Boil all the Ten Commandments down to two things. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the first commandment. Number two is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor, am I really supposed to love my neighbor? That's the Bible says. Well, how much was it? You love your neighbor as yourself. I, by the way, doesn't mean I always agree. Doesn't mean I don't have healthy discussions. See, we get this misnomer in the kingdom of God. It's like we, we, we think that somehow if we're loving the people that we never tell them the truth. But when we tell them the truth, we tell them the truth in what? Say it, love. So, so we're not talking about if you're really a loving person, the only thing that you ever say to people is you're amazing, you're great, you're a champion, you're a world changer, you are awesome. Now, sometimes you have to have some discussions that may be a little bit more intense where you say, hey, listen, time out, wait, hold on. See, if you really love people, you'll tell them the truth, but you tell them the truth in what? Say it in love. So question, how's our love life? How's our agape life? Come on, are you with me? Remember, the world immediately goes to the physical. How's your love life? How are you doing with people? I want to grow in this. Remember, we're all convicted by this. But the way to grow is not going, I'm going to love people better. It's, I'm going to be a better receiver. I'm going to receive. Lord, I want to be a better receiver. First John 3, John is saying, number one, be a receiver. Number two, be a dispenser. Remember this, we don't generate the love of God, we dispense it. I have two pastors that pastor my life. I believe every pastor ought to have a pastor. I have a pastor, Pastor Jacob Aranza, preaches here once a year. Pastor Jim LaFoon preaches here once a year around Thanksgiving time. And, uh, and they're my pastor. I'll never forget, years ago, I was uh, in a conflict with Pastor Jacob, my pastor. He wouldn't mind me saying this. And, and it, was just, it was really my attitude about some things. And I just, we were just in discussions, and I got in a conflict. i never forget, Pastor Jim came in to preach. And we sat down. We were at I think it was TJIF Fridays. I think they had one years ago in, in Covington. And I remember sitting down and talking to him. And I said, oh, Pastor, you know, I just, I'm dealing, you know, I'm dealing with And it was really an attitudinal issue. I'll never forget what he said to me. Here's what he said. He said, you, you can go try to find another pastor, but I'm going to tell you something. There's nobody that's going to love you the way Pastor Jacob does in your successes or your failures. If you have 10,000 people in the church, or if you have five people in the church, if you do, hey, let me just tell you something. Listen to me. You need friends that love you when you've got W's and L's in your life, when you're on the top and when you're on the bottom. That is Christian love. Come on, are y'all with me or not? That's Christian love. And not, not just somebody wants to associate you with you when you're doing great. And John, John, said, John said, hey, let me tell you something. You, you want to you not become a Christian, but you want to evidence the fact that you're a Christian? Show me how you love other people. Number one, the loving life is a receiving life. Number two, it's a committed life. It's committed to other people. We all can grow in this. Pastor, how do I grow? Let me give you this third and final thing, and then we'll close. This, this is really cool. I saw it right here. Again, I'm trying to teach through 1 John. Next week, we're going to talk about testing 
uh, uh, being a, excuse me, a person of discernment. What does it mean to live a discerning life? Right out of 1 John chapter 4, read the fourth chapter. All right, then the last week, being a confident Christian on Palm Sunday, and then we'll, we'll have Easter. But look at this, 1 John chapter 3, the loving life is a seeing life. What does it mean to see? What does it mean to see? Look what it says, 1 John chapter 3. John says, by this we know love. All right, he's setting the stage. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Watch this. But whoever has this world's goods and, say it with me, sees. Sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? There is in each one of our lives, I know a desire to grow. I know I want to grow in the love of God. Not only being a receiver, but being a dispenser. I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, John's given us a key here. He's given us a clue. And the clue is this. Listen, don't miss this. This is so powerful. The clue is, what are you looking at? The word see means, watch this, to continue with intense attention. It means with continuity and attention, I'm looking at that person. Let's be honest. We're all moving through life fast. I mean, social media, things happening, cars, time, computers, life's happening. Rapid, 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 right? And I teach living an intentional life. I believe the Bible advocates that. We want to live with intentionality. We want to live with vision and focus. But don't miss this. We can't, quote, be so myopically focused on just our needs that we simply glance at those around us because when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, let me just tell you this, it shouldn't be just a glance, but it ought to be an intense scene. When you see people the way God wants us to see them, we don't just glance at them, we see into their lives. Listen, we see their hurts. I've said this for years, everyone has a hurt, everyone has a pain. Everyone has a hope. Everyone has a dream. Everyone. Every single person. I don't care how successful they are, how, how well-known they are. If you unpack their soul, there's a hurt in there. There's a pain in there. There's hope. There's a dream. Are we willing to not just glance at people, but are we willing to stop and really get into their world? Let me tell you where most judgment comes from. Most judgment that we do towards other people is because we've not stopped and saw long enough into another person's soul. Because if you ever see into somebody's soul the struggle and the fight and they're trying to make it, everybody's, we're all trying to make it, right? I mean, we're just trying to, we've got all these things on the inside of us. Listen, I tell people, you know, well, I don't believe in God. So let me tell you, life is hard enough as it is. It's tougher without God. How many of y'all would agree with that? I know, I, I believe that, man. Life's not easy. Don't ever let anybody tell you that life's easy. It's not easy. People that say it is, they're, they're not telling the truth. Are we seeing, are we seeing what God wants us to see? I've had the opportunity four times to go to the Dream Center in Los Angeles. Uh, Matthew Barnett, of course, Tommy Barnett's been a mentor of mine. I've read all of his books. He did our men's conference last year. He's just an amazing man. 
And I've had the opportunity four times to go preach there. And afterwards, we preach in what's called Angelus Temple, Los Angeles Temple. It's this, this historic 1930s church. It was just an amazing structure. And then the Dream Center is about a block away from that, which was a hospital that they bought. So there's a church and there's a hospital, maybe, I don't know, five, 600 yards away from, from one another. Well, we, we would walk to this restaurant, really cool restaurant. And it was interesting walking through the streets of Los Angeles you ever walk with somebody that has trained their eyes biblically to see? It's amazing what he saw, what I didn't see. He saw the different needs in people's lives. I didn't see it. And he saw different ministries that they could have to be able to meet those needs. I, I didn't see it. See, we can see, but we can really see. We can see into the pain. We can see into the hurt. And we can see where we can be part of the solution to helping there, where it's not just categorized as that's somebody else's job. Are you with me? Somebody else will handle that. No. Let me tell you what Christianity is about. It's about each one of us being willing to roll up our sleeves and say, hey, I got a part to play. I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 9. One day Jesus was looking over the multitudes and the Bible says, but when, the, when he saw the multitudes, when he saw, when he saw, he looked out. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Now, let me just tell you what compassion means right here. You need to look it up. It, it's talking about bowels and not, I don't I want to be careful, but, but it's, it's, it's moved at such a deep level where it grips you internally and emotionally. If you ever really see into the life of another person, you'll be gripped. If you ever see, if we can ever, here's what this is about. The point of maturing in Christ is not where we go, I'm mature or mature. I'm mature. Well, if you're really mature in Christ, if you're a good receiver, I know this is a double negative in English, so don't email me, but you cannot not give it away. The evidence of being a true Christian is your love life. Not eros, but agape. Because when you receive from God, you got to give it away. Years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song. He had an experience with God in the 60s. You remember that song? You got to tell somebody. Come on, y'all with me? Come on, all the people in their 60s. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't you look so holy in church. You know, you got to tell somebody. Let me just tell you, if you ever received the agape love of God, you got to give it away to somebody. You got to give it away to somebody. I'll close with this. You know what our ministry report is? I'll tell you what it is. Once a year we do it. You know what it is? I'm so proud of you guys at church because it's our snapshot of saying, God, we're seeing the needs. God, we want to look beyond just ourselves and we want to see what's going on in our culture and our world. It's a snapshot of us seeing the needs and doing something about it. How many of y'all want to grow in the love life? Come on. How many of y'all want to grow? Y'all want to grow? I want to grow. Let's be receivers and givers away. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. The Spirit of God is here. If you're in this place today, you do not know Christ. I just want to pray for you. I want to take just one moment. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today that I'm ready to stand before God. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And at the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. At every one of our campuses, our South Shore campus, Gulf Coast, online, and here at Little Creek, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. 
I can't save you, but I can point to the one who saves. His name's Jesus. A church can't save you. Belonging to a denomination can't save you. It's Jesus. Have you called out and called upon the name of the Lord? Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Wash me. In just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to ask for hands of every one of our campus. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly, hold up your hand high so I can.